Hello, and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain, a podcast dedicated to the mission of walking people towards healing and health. In each new episode, we will discuss how to show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Here is your host, Stephanie West, a licensed practicing counselor in the state of Michigan, a teacher, and a professor who lives her life at the intersection of mental health and education. Thanks so much for following along. Hey guys, welcome back to a new episode. Maybe a touch of an unconventional episode in the sense that it's going to get really deep into one session I had over this last couple weeks that I think will be really helpful in guiding our understanding of what trauma therapy actually looks like, but also why diving into trauma, sorting through it, and skill building are paramount to move through our understandings of our own story and also to really be the catalyst for healing pieces in our story. And so I want to take you inside of a session this last week. And it was as a person in the room with this client, it was really painful to observe the level of discomfort that they were feeling, the level of sadness that they were feeling, the level of fear that they were feeling. And so I want to set the stage a little bit with this particular client. When they came to me right around a year and a half going on two years ago, one of the things they said at the onset is, you know what, Steph, there's stuff I'm just not going to tell you. But in a very short time, we built rapport enough to where the client was able to express to me kind of a series of things that, you know, they had kind of just wrestled out as, hey, that's my reality. I've been exploited. I've been kind of manipulated. I've been abused. But it was such a kind of an entrenched part of the story that there wasn't a lot of emotionality attached to it. It was all just very cognitive. And so for this client to come in over the last couple of weeks here and say, Steph, this thing happened. I want to dive into it right away, but I don't know what to do with it. That's really just, it's so profound because once upon a time, there was this pervasive sense of, you know, who's going to care anyway? Don't even bother bringing it up. What's it going to matter? And so for the client to kind of have this experience over the last few weeks and then say, you know what, I'm going to put a pin in it and then I'm going to go to therapy to sort through it. That in and of itself was such substantial growth. But there's been this kind of long history of exploitation being preyed upon, being kind of dehumanized. And this has been, you know, the broad side of this client narrative for 15 to 20 years at this point. And so as this client is diving into some of their late high school, early college history, they said, you know what? I was just really good at dissociating. Now I am going to say, if you have kids that listen to this at all, I would caution, we are going to be talking about sexual trauma specifically. So it's probably not content that's going to be appropriate for all ages. So I, I do want to, maybe I should have prefaced it a few minutes ago with that. And if you are someone who has your own trauma narrative related to sexual exploitation, I'm going to encourage you actually to listen along. I will hold this very gingerly and very conscientiously, but I want to help you understand what's on the other side of choosing to process and sort through this. And so as my client comes into me, again, historically, it doesn't matter. This is just what happens. Girls get exploited or guys get exploited. Whatever the the narrative is that's running for the client, they come in with this preconceived notion several years ago, but now they're coming in and saying, hey, this happened. I want to sort through it. And here's the 
thing. So many people have these stories. So many people know how to dissociate because it's a a survival technique. So for my client to stay present this last time, I was just so thankful for them that that type of growth has been experienced. But here's what's the current context. Client is now in their, you know, mid to late 30s. And what had happened was the broadside of a dozen to kind of 15 years ago, they had a situation where someone showed up at their house in kind of the early morning hours threatening and saying, you have to come with me or else. Now, this was a friend to client. So while client got kind of an uneasy feeling about it, they cooperated and went along because the other side of the narrative is the rest of the household would be woken up and client might get in trouble. So client went along with the perpetrator. And we can call the person who showed up a perpetrator because that is in fact what happened. Now, to what degree it happened, that's that's really not anything I'm willing to share. It's not my piece of the story to share. But my client reports very, just very sadly that the dehumanization that they experienced was so, so painful. This was my friend. This friend saw me as a sexual object. This friend took what they could from me and then dropped me back off at home as though they hadn't just gutted me. So just astronomically kind of a paradigm shift for them. This person was friend and ally. Now this person is my my perpetrator and I was the prey. And so within a few days, however, this person exited my client's life and client is left with this kind of this disorientation of what was that? But client has a history of being able to dissociate. So client compartmentalizes it, blocks the number, and kind of just moves on. And then says, you know what? I didn't think it was a thing, except when I look over the first few years of my marriage, I was not only dissociating, I was having panic attacks. I was having big responses whenever I would be with my spouse. I was having fear response, trauma responses pretty consistently early in my marriage. And then client said, outside of that, I didn't think this had such an effect. And now client runs into perpetrator in public and client freezes and feels constriction in the stomach and tightness in the chest, shortness of breath, experiences some panic attacks over the next couple days and comes into therapy and says to me, why is this a thing? This was a lifetime ago. This shouldn't be a thing. And I said, because we've never dealt with it. This is not something we've ever spoken. We've never given it the life that it deserves. Now, while for this perpetrator, it might've been over in the matter of minutes and they've never revisited it, your body has re-experienced this over the past 12 to 15 years. And it's visiting it again right now because you're having a trauma response. And so we've got to do something with it. I said, and more importantly, we get to do something about that because you are not a teenager or a young 20-something anymore. And client wouldn't make eye contact with me. And I asked the client, I said, would you be willing to make eye contact with me? And so they looked up and I said, look, here's the thing. That should never have happened. You are more than what you are able to give to someone sexually. And I'm sorry that that person preyed upon you in that way for their sexual gratification. And we maintain eye contact this entire time and client is able to see not only empathy, but my sadness for the experience that they had, my conviction that that is not okay. There's a very good chance that that's the first time my clients ever heard that that was not a you thing. That was a them thing. And so we take a few moments to tease apart who's actually responsible for this. You did nothing in those moments. I get that that you went with perpetrator because you thought perpetrator was friend. And even though the context was hinky, you were assuming the, the best about them. 
And you're right. We in the future, we shouldn't be doing that. So we'll have to build some skills there. But I don't care what your misstep was in that. Them putting hands on you was absolutely not your fault. Them putting hands on you was their character, their shortcomings, their issue. And we've got to get that straight. Now, you do have to reconcile where the gap showed up and your self-agency. And you and I are going to build some of that right now. But you do not spin about your complicity in this without understanding that you were preyed upon by a perpetrator who dehumanized you. And we've got to get that piece really locked in for us to move forward here. Wrestling that out means a whole host of things. It means sadness. It means rage. It means processing something really uncomfortable. And this entire time, client is trying to kind of move through this or or dismiss it. And I said to client, I said, here's the thing. We cannot have this happen again in your life, which means we want to stay in this moment for just a few seconds here and at least sort through what are your options going forward. And I am telling you, it is heartbreaking to sit with someone and hold them to a task that is so outside of anything that they're not only comfortable with, but you can see the turmoil, the anguish that they're going through. But to not go through it together is not really a choice if we expect things to go differently in the future. That's the painful part of the work that we have to do, but it's also the liberating part of the work that we get to do. So I stay locked in with client and I said, I want you just for a few minutes to sit with me here. You run into this perpetrator in public again. What do you want to do? And my client said, the thing is, I'd probably smile at them, nod politely and ask them how they were. And I said, is that what you want to be true? And my client just starts sobbing and says, of course not. So I said, okay, let's stay with it a minute. What would you like to say? And client says, I have no idea. I said, let's let's brainstorm together here. What would you like to say? And we're going to use, we're going to use a very neutral letter here. Let's say that the perpetrator's letter of their name starts with a B. So I'm going to refer to B, but here's what happens. B walks up to you. What do you want to say? I know who you are, and I'm not interested in this conversation. And even as clients saying that, they're kind of recoiling and saying, well, this sounds rude or this is not okay. So I practice saying it back to client. I say, am I being rude here? And I say very, very firmly, B, I know who you are, and I'm not interested in this conversation. And then I walk away. So I asked client, I said, is that disrespectful? Am I dehumanizing now? Because that's not the route we want to go. And client says, no, it's firm, it's boundaried, it's intense, but it's not disrespectful. It's not unkind. I said, good, let's practice again. So client looks me just dead in the eyes this time. And I was just, I was feeling the strength building, which was so incredible. And client says, B, I know who you are. I'm not willing to have this conversation. And so I said, okay, next step. You say this very pointedly to B and B says something. Something really, and, and I'm gonna use I'm gonna use a little bit of crass language here. B says, like, well, I don't even know what's going on here. Why are you being such a bitch? Or I don't even know what's going on here. Why are you being rude? Or or B has any sort of reaction of incredulity that my client's not engaging. And I said, What do you want to say next? And client said, I don't know. What would I say next? I said, let's say the same thing, let's say it a second time, and let's say it more firmly. So client looks me dead in the eye and says, I am not interested in having this conversation. And we practice walking away. It's two sentences. By the end of session, we practice those two sentences a variety of times. I am telling you that primes the muscle. So when client goes into public and if client runs into this perpetrator again, client has something at their disposal ready to go. 
I know who you are. I'm not interested in this conversation. And if someone pushes back, guess what? I don't owe you an explanation. And you exit stage left and you don't look over your shoulder and you don't apologize and you don't smile. You don't over explain. You say, I know who you are. This conversation does not interest me and I do not owe you an explanation. That is not rude. That is a boundary. And you look someone dead in the eye and you say the things because my client is no longer helpless. My client has language for what happened in that situation. My client is aware that it was not their fault. And now my client has some skills that they can work on building so that their world doesn't become smaller, so that they don't stop going out in public just because this person's walking around. If we expect to get stronger through our traumas, It is learning to call evil by its name, look evil in the eye, and say, I'm done with this, and this does not happen again. But to say, my world should stay small because I don't want to confront what's happened to me, I lament that. Now, I understand that because it is terrifying. But let me promise you, if you have gone through something where you have been suppressing it or disoriented about it or you've been aversive to exploring it, you fled from even starting to deal with it, the process is not easy, but the help process is pretty streamlined. Have someone listen to you empathetically. Organize responsibility. Who was responsible? Who was not responsible? Organize the cost that has already happened. So I've said to client, this perpetrator has affected 12 to 15 years of your life. I think we can stop it here. Challenge the politeness that showed up in the context where the perpetrator had easy access to my client. And we do this by saying, wait, perpetrator wasn't worried about your level of comfort. I think we stop worrying about their level of comfort. We confront what additional costs might come up if we don't have a solution. How small will your world have to get for us to never have to navigate this? I don't know that answer. I don't want to see how small we have to make the world to ensure that you don't have to do this confrontation. I think we learn how to do the confrontation. And then we add skills to the tool belt to prepare for what if I run into this person again. And we practice and we practice and we practice it again. And here's the thing. My client doesn't have to acknowledge this person with good grace. My client does not owe any type of pleasantries if a confrontation happens. Now, again, client cannot dehumanize this other person. That's one of the very things we're pushing back against. But client can very firmly say, I know who you are. This is not a conversation I'm willing to have. And I do not owe you an explanation. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Please share this content with friends and family. Feel free to connect with Stephanie at healingthroughpain21 at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.